Hello, everyone. This is episode 151 of Left of Skeptic. My name is Brittany Lind. And I am Kayla Moria. And we are a paranormal podcast. Yes, we are. Kayla, how's it going? Good. I'm excited for our last episode of the year. Mm, mm, mm. Happy New Year, everyone. When does this come out? On the 30th? No. 29th. 29th. I have a calendar. 27th? 27th. I have a calendar right in front of me. (laughs) Yes, the 27th is when this episode will come out. Okay, okay, okay. (laughs) Good, good, good. Uh, I am doing splendidly. Uh, We are recording this, obviously, normally we record on Sunday or Monday. Mm -hmm. But Sunday and Monday is Christmas Eve and Christmas. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of busy, busy time. Yeah, so we're, uh, I just got uh, my last couple of Christmas presents Mm. purchased today. And I did a bunch of errands and I'm just feeling very accomplished and ready to go home after this and like curl up with my weighted blanket and just not do anything else. Just be? Just be. I love that. I think I'm going to watch a Muppet Christmas Carol. That sounds terrible, but good for you. No crust of bread for those in need. No cheeses for us nieces. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I've never watched a Muppet Christmas Carol all the way through. Well, you don't like Muppets. No, so they're that very tracks. scary. But I, I will say that any Muppet movie that involves a actor, like because you know it's always one actor. Yeah. And then the rest are Muppets. Right. When um like actor plays the character so so straight, surrounded by these crazy Muppets. Uh-huh. Oh, it makes me so happy. And Michael Caine, mm, chef's kiss. <laughs> like he is he is staring down Kermit the Frog like he would stare down whatever actor played his Batman. Cause he was also Alfred at one point. Oh, okay. Okay. And it's it, he's just so good. God damn, he's good. How are you doing? Uh, I'm all right. I am now officially on vacation. I do not have to go back to work until January 2nd. You're looking like a bisexual baddie right now. Thank you. With your I know. pants cuffed. Well, the they were too long. <laughs> they, they were clothing swap pants and they fit everywhere, except for they are five inches too long for me because I'm short. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I got my Billy Idol shirt on. I'm wearing a flannel and some cuff pants. And I was wearing my Doc Martens earlier. And I got Your a stocking cap. Stocking indoors. cap. You are yeah, rocketed. I was a, a 90s grunge princess Although all I, day. I don't know that 90s grunge princesses had pom-poms on their hats. You know... The hat is is giving the energy, but it's just a little tiny bit off. It's also a Michael Kors hat, which is... When you said that earlier, uh-huh. and it took me a second because I forget about a lot of like name brands. Oh, yeah. And I was like, Kors hat? Like I in my brain, oh, you're like, were, the, like beer. the beer. And I was yeah. like, yeah, you definitely don't drink Kors. You're not a Kors <laughs> banquet baby. No, no, no. <laughs> It's so true. No, I got this in a Fat Fit Fun box. Nice. It's That's the cute. only reason why I have a designer brand hat. It's cute as hell. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm really digging my uh my look. You I think look Billy great. would be very happy for me. I think he would too. But yeah. I think Billy would just be happy for you in general. I like to think that if Billy knew you and was like like just in a regular basis, he'd be like, "Yeah, that's my friend Brittany." I, yeah. think he'd, I think he'd get along with you. Thank you. Thank you. I also think that Billy Idol would want to be my friend. Yep. And you know, 
that's what's important, right? The celebrities we enjoy just thinking, you know what? I would want to be their friend and I bet you they'd want to be mine. Yep. Yep. You know, I throw them a birthday party, so. And sometimes, sometimes you meet people that you uh, deeply enjoy uh, and then they do kind of become your friends. Oh, are we thinking a certain uh, Buffy rewatch podcast? Yes. <laughs> it's now been a year. It's been a year. I saw it show up on our uh, memories. Mm-hmm. It makes me so happy to think about. Mm. And I see their pictures get posted and they both look so great. And I'm just like, I know those people. <laughs> they are my friends now. I mean, I know we're not like besties, but I'm like, we I'm could proud be to if we know lived them. closer. Yeah, that Canada thing, man. God damn the border. God damn the border. Or just, I could suck it up and get a passport is really what could happen. (laughs) Yeah, same. Well, what do you think? Should we crack into it? Let's crack into it. Okay. So I have something that has been on my list for a long time. And I finally was like, you know what? Stop grabbing these new subjects. Pick something off your reserve list. I know. I know. I need to do the same, but I'm excited you did. So I'm going to tell you about the Anguished Man painting. Oh. Oh. Okay. The Anguished Man is an oil painting by an unknown artist, and it's pretty famous in both the art and paranormal communities for being haunted. Haunted or cursed? Haunted or or cursed is the question. Oh, okay. Something's weird. Some- That's what we know. We don't know if it's haunted or cursed. A lot, you'll find it on cursed objects lists. Mm-hmm. You will also find it on haunted object lists. Okay, I'm excited. You will regularly find it on lists with like Robert the Doll. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so it is an oil painting on canvas that depicts a man. Well, the bust of a man, like shoulders up, clavicles up. Who appears to be screaming in anguish. This man is painted in shades of red, yellow, and orange. And he's against a blue background. And the opposing colors really gives it a kind of jarring appearance. The man has no hair. And his eyes look like voids. Just like bottomless pits deep set in his face. And likewise, his mouth, open in a scream of pain, has very little details. Despite the lack of like facial details, the picture is Definitely, like, giving the feeling of anguished man. Okay. It's very unsettling. So I pulled up the picture for you Thank to you. see. Thank you. I'm like, I need to see this. Ew. I don't like that at all. It's like, it looks like someone who's been melted. Yes. Yes. And once I get home, uh-huh. I'm going to schedule a post for the Facebook. Okay. So I'll schedule a post for Facebook so that it'll be the picture and then I'll, there's a video that I'm going to talk about later. I'll make sure the link is in that post. Perfect. As well. So I don't forget. (laughs) Don't forget. So when you guys hear this, you'll be able to go on our Facebook or Instagram and find it. It's really disturbing. Yeah. The earliest mention of the painting that I could find was in June of 2010. When the owner of the painting uploaded a video to YouTube about it, it had about a paragraph's worth of text describing the painting's history as he knew it and a shot of the painting itself. The owner is Sean Robinson, a resident of Cumbria, England. He inherited the painting from his grandmother, and it, according to him, had been stored in her attic 
for over 25 years as she received it from as a gift from a friend. Right? I just, <laughs> why would you give that as a gift? We see, we say that and my brain went to the same thing, but I'm like, you know what? That does look like a painting somebody would buy for me. Yeah, but. So who knows? Maybe the grandma was like really into creepy stuff. And so the friend was like, oh, you'll, you'll like this. It's terrifying. You'll love it. Based on the timeline that he had given from his grandma and when he received it, it sounds like the painting was given to her probably in like the mid-70s. Okay. Robinson's grandmother insisted that the painting was evil. She felt it was best to keep it locked away in storage rather than have it out on display or worse yet, sold off to unsuspecting some unsuspecting art lover. And Robinson was a skeptic. He wasn't buying the story. And he claimed the painting shortly after his grandmother passed away. And he was like, you know, it's a little creepy. I like it. He viewed the painting as an interesting little curiosity, something to like spark a conversation. And if you see the painting, you can see why. Like it's definitely going to spark a conversation if it's somewhere in your house. It'll go something like, I'm sorry, what is that? And why do you have it hanging on your wall? Yes. So again, to fully understand what we're talking about here, if you are in a position where you can, hop on our social media and look at the picture so you know what's going on. It's creepy. It's fine. Just go check now. We'll wait. We'll sit here. We'll wait. Okay. All right, we're done waiting. Yeah, I think they've checked it now. (laughs) Right, so Robinson's grandma told him stories about the painting when he was young. She remembered that the painter had committed suicide after the painting was complete. She said the artist had mixed his blood into the paint. Jesus. Which is apparently more common than we think because one of the articles that I read was talking about how there was a country that was banning mixing blood into oil paints and the anguished man painting was brought up as a part of that article. What? Okay. I don't know how they'd ban it, but I mean, I think it's a health hazard. Right. So that would be why. But I mean, I'm just saying... Uh, the, apparently it's a more common problem than we realized if places are feeling like they have to ban it. I've definitely heard of it before. So, you know. She said that once she received the painting, she began seeing a dark, ghostly figure in her home. And she swears the painting was the source of that apparition, along with strange noises that sounded eerily like a man crying. But again, Robinson didn't believe all this bull hockey. He's like, nah, we're fine. He brought the painting into his home, and not long after, he and his wife both started to see a dark figure around their house. The sightings increased, and as they did, they started to hear strange noises. They would hear doors creak open in the middle of the night, other strange noises, and eventually, noises that sounded creepily like a man crying somewhere in their home. If we go by, like, supernatural rules, like the TV show... The blood in the painting could be the connection to the artist who committed suicide. Absolutely. Yep. If you go by supernatural rules, that makes the most sense. Yeah. So, yeah, understandably, Robinson became convinced. He now believes that the information provided by his grandma was not just a story she told to creep him out, like some parents will do, or even something that she believed that was just, like, wrong. Right. He's like, no, she's right. It was a real experience. Right. 
he is now convinced that the painting is haunted by an evil entity. At some point, Robinson had to move out temporarily due to some flooding in his home. Okay. Uh, And here was his update from that. Quote, I have recently temporarily moved in with my parents and obviously took the painting with me. It was only in the house for a few days when the noises started. The same noises I had previously experienced. And then on the third night, my father fell down the stairs. Thankfully, he was unhurt, but I have now moved the painting back into storage. Unquote. Uh, Okay. If he thought that the painting was causing these things, why would he take the painting with him to his parents' house? Well, because it was in their basement. And the basement was part of the flooding, so they took a bunch of stuff and put it in their parents' garage. Okay. I would have just, like, set it in an upstairs room and been like, you stay here. I, 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 Who knows the logic behind that, but I think it was just more about getting everything out of the house so that everything could be cleaned and dried okay. from the sounds of it. When they were able to move back into the house and the painting was returned to Robinson, he decided not to put it back in the cellar. Instead, he hung it in the spare bedroom with a camera facing it because he wanted to catch some activity. I mean, if you're going to have it in your house anyway, you might as well, you know, find something. Yep, and he said that's when things started to get really interesting. It's always great when somebody uses interesting as a way to describe a haunting. You're like, so it kicked up and you were dumb and you decided, like, let's really lean into this. Let's steer into the skid here. And then it was... Interesting what happened. (laughs) Sean Robinson stated, We have heard crying coming from the corner of our bedroom. We started seeing a dark figure standing at the bottom of the bed, apparently staring at us. It seems to be a middle-aged man, but his features are not very clear. Gross. Okay. They began to hear more banging, creaking, and crying noises, and they began to feel cold spots around their house. And uh, their dog would refuse to go upstairs. Doors would bang shut on their own. Robinson's wife also swore that on one occasion, she felt someone get into bed with her when Robinson was not home. Mm-mm. And on another Mm-mm. occasion, she felt someone fuss with her hair. Oh, no. A year later, as things began to escalate, he posted another update on their YouTube channel. Quote, I set the camera up once more in the spare bedroom. The painting has been stored away since the last recording. I recorded over three nights for approximately four hours per night between 1 a.m. and 5 a.m. I recorded the usual banging noises, but on the second night at approximately 3.25 a.m., I recorded the painting falling over and immediately afterward a small orb is visible just above the painting. Press play when you are ready. Did you see it? Not to go all nukes top five on you, but did you see it? The little orb move? I did, and ew. Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> I, I didn't like that. I will. I also got to point out that when you talked about uh, her hair being touched, I got full goosebumps. <laughs> so they, he points out there were no drafts in the room. And the painting was stood at an angle against the wall, which you can see in the video. It is yeah. definitely at an angle. So it should not have been able to tip over by itself. Right. He also said he experienced uh, that strange mist that you see kind of as an orb mm-hmm. in the in the photo. He's seen that at the top of his stairs. 
And it was like he was suddenly surrounded by smoke and he became very cold and it vanished just as quickly as it came. Mm-mm-mm. So after that recording, things got a little bit more dangerous. Oh, I thought you were going to say interesting again. No, no, no. Dangerous. Things got even more interesting. <laughs> uh, this, this, one's, this one's really like, ugh, you'll see. Quote, a few days after I, this was recorded, I heard my son's footsteps coming down the stairs. Then suddenly I heard him stumble and fall down the last four or five steps. I jumped up and rushed to help him. To my relief, he was unhurt, just a little shaken up. Later on in the day, I could tell that something was bothering him. So I asked him what was wrong. He was a little reluctant to tell me first for fear of sounding stupid. But after some persuasion, he told me that it felt like something had pushed him down the stairs. Oh, that's not very nice. That's a child. He said he was just walking down the stairs when he felt a pressure on his back that pushed him forward. He tried to stop falling, but he said the force behind him was too strong. Well, this really concerned me. Was I putting my family at risk by keeping the painting in the house? I decided to put the painting away again in the cellar, and once again, the activity seemed to stop. So the painting, like, they, they get some mild activity with the painting being in the house, but it really doesn't act up fully until it's on display. Like it has some sort of a, a radius of activity a radi- that it's allowed to do. A paranormal radius. Yeah. What would you call that? An area of activity. Probably. Designated area of activity. <laughs> Limited area of activity. Robinson has tried to research the painting. He tried to figure out its background or who the artist was, but he has had no luck. He's posted the story on several different websites with a strained hope that someone would recognize the painting or at least recognize the style Mm. and have a suggestion of who the artist might be. Yeah. Even just clues that could go in a certain direction, but still nothing. He's had tons of offers from people wanting to buy the painting, but he has no desire to sell it. Okay. Quote, at first I thought the painting was very unsettling, but I put down all the activity to the fact that I've been told of its background and perhaps I was imagining things. But the longer I had the painting, the more convinced I became that there is something paranormal about it, unquote. It has been suggested by some online that because the artist used his own blood in the oils, it could be the restless spirit of the painter. Mm. Others have been kind of bagginsy about it and say that it's much more sinister than that and it's some sort of demon that, like, is cursed with the painting. Okay. That's a Baggins-y explanation for sure. I know. And I wish people could see how much we're equally rolling our eyes. <laughs> like he said, he was first, you know, unsettled and then disturbed. He doesn't like the activity, but he never felt there was anything malicious or evil about it, which is why he was so willing to keep it in the house. Right. Until the thing happened with his son and the stairs. But... Okay, so just because that happened doesn't mean it's a demon. Exactly. He's maybe the guy is just a jerk. <laughs> and so, like, if the painting is haunted and the spirit is just trying to communicate with us, kind of going along with what you said, it still may not be malicious. Right. The pushing, like, even if the kid was pushed, it sounds like it was the last four or five steps. Right. And and maybe, maybe. If, you know, some ghost shows have any accuracy to them and not not like ghost adventures, but I mean, shows where you see it from the ghost point of view. Yeah. It's kind of hard to manifest. 
oh yeah moving things oh, maybe yeah. they're like hey 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 whoa <laughs> oopsie i'm so sorry i'm, I'm so sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's a canadian ghost i'm so sorry i'm so sorry i have a donut <laughs> i brought you tim hortons all right sorry uh <laughs> Uh, he has been advised several times to maybe burn the painting or bury it. But then he's been told by other people. Maybe don't do that. <laughs> not to burn it. No. Because if it is cursed. Yeah. And you burn it. Sometimes that can release something that it's holding. And, and you can't you, get rid of it. Yep. Then. And it could make matters much worse. Mm-hmm. If you bury it, then you run the risk of somebody else stumbling upon it and being put in the exact same position that you are in now. Right. Um, he's been told to have it blessed or exercised. But he's like, I, I, from the, he didn't really explain further than that. He was just told that, that he's been told to have it blessed or exercised. But he says that he doesn't want to destroy it. He's asked his family if they know anything about the painting, but nobody knows anything. So he just wants to get some answers, and I don't think he wants to do anything to alter the painting until, in, he, until he knows what's okay. going okay. on. Yeah, that makes sense. All he has to go on is that it was given to his grandmother and then passed on to him. Right. Quote, hopefully I will eventually find out the artist's name, and then I will be able to research the validity of its backstory. I have tried to remain objective and look at the events rationally, but I have no explanation for some of the things I have experienced, unquote. The Anguished Man has been studied by multiple paranormal investigators, including Ian Lawman and John Blackburn of Mysteria Paranormal. And Robinson said that these two visited some of the most documented haunted locations in the UK with the Anguished Man in hand. Like, he lent it to them to travel to haunted locations. To what? Why? You'll see. Okay. Kind of <laughs> I'm um, like, okay. According to a 2018 article by Stephen Wagner, Sean Robinson shared his experience with Mysteria Paranormal and the painting at one of the locations. It was on the evening of May 18th of 2013 at Chillingham Castle that a group of people experienced events that were both terrifying and unexplained. None of the guests were prepared for what was about to happen in the early hours of Sunday morning. The room went icy cold when a large, dark figure appeared in the middle of the seance circle. A large wooden bench banged on the floor of its own accord in response to John Blackburn's questions to the painting. Then suddenly, the bench was flipped upside down violently by what was believed to be John Sage, one of Chillingham Castle's resident powerful spirits, who we think was showing his anger to a foreign, uninvited spirit into his castle. Get out of here! So I think that the idea was, from what I could, what I was reading, is that this is a cursed or haunted object. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they know from it being with the grandma and then in Robinson's house and then in his parents' house that the spirit moves with the painting. So they think they were trying to get its interactions in other haunted locations to see how, like, two spirits would react to each other. Interesting. Obviously, it was negative. <laughs> Yeah. John Sage was having none of it. (laughs) Get this fucking guy out of my house. Several sources said that John Blackburn said the event was the strangest experience he had in all of his years of paranormal investigation. Supposedly, the interaction between the spirit at Chillingham Castle and the anguished man was seen by over 20 people. Whoa, okay. In 2021, Robinson collaborated with paranormal investigators SPIRIT UK on a three-part series which was published on YouTube. 
It is very much like your standard ghost hunting shows. It shares a lot of what I'm sharing in this podcast. So you can watch it if you want to, but it's it's a lot of the same information. Oh, okay. But you can see what Sean thank Robinson for, looks like. Thank you for summarizing it for me. <laughs> and it's very much like your standard ghost hunting show, like Ghost Hunters or Ghost Adventures, in the mm-hmm. way that things are hyped up. And mm-hmm. whether or not you believe it is going to depend on how willing to believe something like this you are. Mm-hmm. At one point, a Mental Floss article was posted talking about nine supposedly haunted objects you could buy on eBay. And the Anguish Man painting was one of them. But he doesn't want to sell it. Yep. So here's here's the thing. We, we know people sell haunted stuff on eBay all the time. We've talked about it several times. It's dumb. Don't buy haunted objects on eBay. No. Just don't. I, as much as you may want to, just don't. Just don't do it. One, it's 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 either not really going to go well or it's two, a fake. It's fake. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for the description, they put the seller of this oil painting describes it as a horrific paranormal portrait. The artist is unknown, but according to its owner, the artwork may be responsible for a number of spooky goings on around the house. Since owning this painting, I have experienced a number of strange paranormal events that cannot be easily explained. The seller writes in the listing. These include hearing disembodied footsteps from elsewhere in the house, the sound of bird song appearing out of the air in the living room, and finally, observing a heavy metal door latch lift by itself and the kitchen door open by itself. Even if you don't need a haunted painting for yourself, it could make a great gift for a less-than-loved one, the listing suggests. That's not nice. But here's the problem. The posted photo looks nothing like the actual picture of the anguished man. Oh. I didn't save it, but it looks... It's, it's like not the same thing. It's like a pale pale man, not in shades of red and whatever. The background's the wrong color. It doesn't look like it at all. And the other thing is the descriptions of what they experience do not match what Sean Robinson has experienced. At no point in any of his things did I hear about a bird song. I was going to say. That sounds annoying, but more delightful. It reminds me of those clocks that like every other person had for a long time. They used to sell them on TV infomercials. And when you'd hit the hour, it would play a different wild bird song. Oh, I was thinking a cuckoo clock. But no, I know what you're talking about. It was big in the 90s. Big in the 90s and the 2000s. We had one. Very annoying. But at first it was pretty cool. Yeah. But then like, you know, one in the morning hits and you're upstairs and it scares the crap out of you. It's it's the 2 a.m. chickadee. Hmm. Uh, Todd Ringy of Dread Central cleared this story up promptly by posting an article titled The Anguished Man, The World's Most Haunted Painting is Not for Sale. And the article states, Newsflash, although you may have read that The Anguished Man, supposedly one of the world's most haunted paintings, is for sale, apparently that is not the case. Unfortunately, you'll have to spend your nickels and dimes on another piece of possessed artwork. Sean Robinson was contacted for the article and he told them, unfortunately, and to disappoint all the collectors of haunted items and the horror fans looking for the best Christmas present ever, we have to let you down by telling you that the painting is locked away in a secure location and is not for sale. He went on to say that all other paintings claiming to be the anguished man for sale online are frauds and no one should buy them. He said that he could guarantee the painting was locked away in a secure location and he has zero intention of selling it because it could be dangerous, and he didn't want to pass that on to someone else. He said it is very active, and strange things happen for people who are in the same room. 
The last update I could find was from Robinson's Facebook page that he made for the painting. This was just the last update about the painting. He's posted on it since then, so he's fine. Okay. This is just the last update in regards to the painting itself. Okay. It was from August 17th of 2022, and it said, I've had the painting in the house with me for the past few months. I can barely sleep. Also, I found out I have blood clots in my legs, parentheses, DVT. And must take blood thinning medication, probably on a permanent basis. So I'm hoping I don't start having nosebleeds again while I'm on the blood thinners. The painting is covered up in a cupboard in a spare room, but I'm still hearing things and having nightmares. Is it all a coincidence? I have to keep telling myself that it is. People who criticize the painting have said that the story behind it is totally fabricated. And they say Robinson created this as an elaborate hoax to garner attention, a kind of creepypasta scenario. But it is worth noting that while there are tons of articles and videos on the Anguish Man, pretty much all the actual information on the subject itself comes from one source, Sean Robinson. Right. So there's no way to verify anything. So we either have to take his word for it or take the whole thing with a grain of salt. Question is, should we really be hoping that we had more than one source for this? Because that would mean that there were multiple people with these horrible experiences. And whether you believe in the Anguish Man painting haunting or not, I think it's a good, this is a good area to say, energy is everything. And all the artists I know put their heart and soul into their work, whether it be a painting, a drawing, a book, whatever they work on. So is it so hard to believe that that soul would stick around their work after they've gone? Ooh, that was a good ending. I was proud of that one. Oh, I was, it was, I was so proud good. Of that it one. was so good. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the Anguished Man painting. Okay. I love the story. Me too. However, I'm kind of getting Dear David vibes. Did we talk? Do I know Dear David? You definitely know Dear David. We okay. haven't covered it because it had been so covered already. Yeah. Um. The... The guy who worked at BuzzFeed who started seeing a a, a little boy with his oh, head caved in. Oh, yep, 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 Mostly because, like, he's going, like, that last update. Okay, so now he needs to take blood thinners because of this, and, and it's in a room next to him, so he's hearing voices, and he's like, I hope it's a coincidence. And it's like, or just put it somewhere else, dude. <laughs> Like, you know, like, you're allegedly completely aware that proximity causes activity, and yet you're like, oh, I don't know, it's in the room right next to me, and I'm having all these things happen. It's like, then move it. (laughs) What is wrong with you? (laughs) Like, what? And did he, like, get divorced because his wife is like, no. I'm done. I'm over this. I'm over this. Put it back away. (laughs) Why do you keep taking it out? (laughs) I get it. It's curiosity. But be done. Just be Be done. Be done. Like, you can do the research without having it in the bedroom next door. Here's a thought. If he did get a divorce... Maybe the attention from the painting is all he has left. So that's what I was going to say is that I get it if that's the only thing he has left for him going on is this painting. But I don't know. I just, you know, I was actually way more on board until that that final update. update. Yep. And the 
pictures or the stuff that he posts on it is literally usually like links to a article where his painting was included mm-hmm. links to um, things where people have inquired about the anguish man and are like trying to do more research. So also like if these paranormal investigators are paying him to like use the painting, maybe he's using it as a source of income, extra right. income. There's, there's so much stuff we don't know, but yeah, it's, it's, I, I agree with you. Like, let it go, dude. Let it go. Let I it understand go. not wanting to burn it. I understand not wanting to do, like, whatever. But like, if it's a proximity thing, put it all the way in your cellar in the furthest corner, lock it up, and just let it be there. Find a lead-lined box. Do what your grandma stick did. Stick it in there. Do what your grandma did. Put it away for 25 years. Right. Don't let anybody touch it. Let your son find it. Maybe he's forgotten about the stair incident. He can continue on with the research. <laughs> All right. So on a skeptic scale of para to normal, para being five, normal being one, what are you going to give the anguished man? I'm going to give it a one. Okay. I was going to go two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew that went going into it, but it's just such a good story. No, it's a really good story. And I seriously, if it wasn't for that last update, which you, the update needed to be included, obviously you can't like omit information to try to make it more believable. Yeah. <laughs> That's not what we're here for. No. We want to give you all the full picture as much as we the can. The full picture. So yeah, if, if it, before that last update, I probably would have given it a three. Like, uh, mm, I'm kind of on the fence, but that last one, I'm just like, dude. Yeah. Let it go. Yeah. Literally, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. I am one with the wind and sky. I should watch Frozen. <laughs> Doesn't matter. There's no snow outside. Maybe that's how you get your snow. There you go. I'll just pretend to be Elsa. You'll, d- you'll just be sitting there with like your hot chocolate sitting on your couch and you'll be like, do you want to build a snowman? You're do like, you I wish I, I wish I could, but there's no snow. <laughs> I do like building snowmen. What do you got for me this week? Uh, tonight, I'm going to tell you about the Nicholson House, sometimes called the Nicholson Rand House in Indianapolis, Indiana. Ooh, we're Midwesty this week. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I spent a really long time trying to find a topic this week. I had a topic. It's going to be amazing. But <laughs> you don't get to hear it until February now. We'll get there. <laughs> because it, it was, it's just, it's so good. And there was so much stuff that I, I you know, I, I didn't, I didn't have time to include everything I needed to. Legit. All right. Well, so the uh, Nicholson House was built by a stonemason named David Nicholson. Okay. And Nicholson was originally born in Dumfrieshire, Scotland in 1823. It's literally spelled D-U-M, Fries, Shire. But when it's over there, don't a lot of the things that look like Shire sure. and insure? Oh, uh, Dumfrieshire, Fries, sure. Dumfrieshire's? Dumfrieshire. Something like that. You know, over there in Scotland. Over there. In one of those spots. In one of those spots. She spelled it for you. You could look it up if you really wanted to. (laughs) Dumfrieshire. And then in 1852, he moved to Indianapolis, where he partnered with a fellow Scotsman, humorously named Adam Scott. He's a Scotsman. His name is Scott. Oh, I thought we were talking about... 
Isn't there an actor named Adam Scott? Isn't that who played... Probably. Isn't that who played Ben in Parks and Rec? Oh. I don't know. That's going to bug me. All right, I'll think. You I'll, have I'm gonna, a phone. You could Google it. I could. I could. I could Google it. <laughs> yes, it is. Adam uh, Scott. So I was making that connection, not the whole Scotland. Scotland. Scotland Scott. Scott. Scott, yeah. Scott. All right. Well, the two started a stonework business called Scott and Nicholson. Have we talked about, I feel like we have, we've talked about how men, when they come up with business names, they just use their own names. Whereas women, when they come up with business names, tend to be a little bit more creative. Well, not always, but typically, isn't that like a feature of, like, I feel like I've studied that in psychology classes in college about like the different ways men and women run businesses. Yeah. So women tend to be more creative when it comes to, like you said, naming things or like advertisements, things like that, because they're trying to make them pop. I have weirdly known three men in my life, one of them being my brother, who had a salamander named Salamandy. And I think that is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so... uh, Scott Nicholson Company <laughs> were hired to do the stonework for Indianapolis's new courthouse in the early 1870s. Shortly before that, David Nicholson's wife, Marion, had passed away, after which he quickly remarried. Don't know that much about Marion. Apparently, she wasn't super missed. Um, <laughs> maybe he's just an asshole, okay? I'm not saying it's her fault. Maybe he's, he could be an asshole, or maybe he just doesn't. Maybe he's not a talker. Maybe he's just not a talker. <laughs> uh, he's a doer. Yeah. Get things done. Get you don't have time to sit done. around and talk. Uh, and it just so happened to, you know, his remarriage, it just so happened to coincide that around that time, Scott Nicholson, the company, was hired to do the stonework for the courthouse that Nicholson, the individual, began to work on his own house for his new wife. So they basically went in it into it at the exact same time, working on two projects. He really is a doer. Yeah. And what is coincidental about all of that is that both the courthouse as well as the Nicholson house appear to be made out of the same material. Like whether he purchased any extra material, was given overruns, or if he just liked the style and decided to emulate it for his own house, no one really knows. Or maybe he just, like, got, like, it was just easiest to ship it all at once. So instead of doing two different materials, you're like, all right, I'll just get it all. Right. But what local lore says is that during the courthouse's construction, wagons full of materials could be seen leaving the building site. And now the interior woodwork of the Nicholson house, as well as the floor tiles and three of the house's rooms, match that of the courthouse's original design. Cool. Both the courthouse as well as the house house's construction was completed in 1876. And though despite spending six years building the Nicholson house, shortly after its completion, David Nicholson and his wife divorced. And then Nicholson sold the 24-room Gothic Revival-style house and property to Allison Remy, a Marion County commissioner and hotel proprietor. Which is good because you know what? That's too much house for two people. It's too much house for one person because they got divorced. 
I know. That's I'm like, I'm glad they're selling. Like, that's either oh, way. Yeah. That's too much house. Too much house. 24 rooms. So many rooms. Too many rooms. So Remy had built the Remy Hotel in 1875 in downtown Indianapolis. And it kind of seems like the two just traded because Nicholson <laughs> ultimately became the owner of the Remy Hotel and Allison Remy owned the Nicholson house. <laughs> okay. Swapsies. Swapsies. <laughs> and no one really knows if Remy ever lived in the house himself, but records do show that he did rent it out to a series of folks throughout the 1800s. Over the next decade or so, ownership of the house becomes unclear. But we do know that John Rand and his wife purchased the property in March of 1903. At the time, the Copeland family was renting the house while their house was being built, which they continued to do for another year or so after the Rands acquired the house. Which was very nice of the Rands to let them keep living there. Absolutely. The Rands, who moved to Indianapolis to be closer to their only surviving child, a daughter named Florence, lived in the house for the remainder of their lives, and then Florence would later inherit the property in 1926. Now, with Florence's inherited land, as well as the farm owned by her husband, Waymond Joe Beckett, a prominent Indianapolis attorney, the Beckett farm now encompassed about 600 acres. That's a lot of land. The house was then rented out to the farm's dairy operations manager, who resided there until sometime in the 1930s, when it was occupied again by another series of tenants. Around 1940, Florence and Wayman's son, Joe Beckett, moved into the house with his wife, Marianne. They resided there until his retirement in the 1950s, at which point the Becketts donated the farm to the uh, DeWau University. <laughs> DePau. <laughs> what, what are you pronouncing? It's D-E-P-A-U-W. D-E-P-A-U-W. Depow. Depow. <laughs> Kapow. Comic books. <laughs> Bam. Curse splash. Curse splash. Uh, though they continued to live in the house itself for another two decades or so, alternating between Indiana and another house in Florida. When Joe Beckett died in 1977, Marianne returned to Indiana to live out her days until her own death in 1996, but in the meantime, the Nicholson Rand House was essentially abandoned. The university ended up selling the property and the house to an out-of-state developer who wanted to develop the property for both commercial as well as residential use. But in 1997, the Historical Landmarks Foundation of Indiana stepped in when the developer could not be swayed to change his plans. They basically were like, please don't tear down this house. And he's like, but I want to. <laughs> Bet. So HLFI, the Historical Landmarks Foundation of Indiana, found an available parcel of land just a half mile down Man Road. So just like half mile away from the original property. And just they, a hop, skip, and a jump. Just a hop, skip, and a jump. And they moved the house to its present location. Oh, so they picked up and moved the whole ass house. Yeah, they liked the house. He wanted to develop the land. And they're like, well, can we just have the, have the house? And he's like, I don't care. <laughs> I was going to tear it down. I don't give a shit. It's fine. And it was around this time that rumors that the house was haunted began to circulate around the town. Okay. While the house was being moved, a photographer for the Indianapolis Star newspaper, Mike Fender, snapped a photo of the house. 
which some folks believe captured the image of a ghost looking out of one of the upstairs windows. There is a debate among the locals as to who the ghostly image might be of. Some people believe that it's the spirit of a young girl who was killed in an accident near the house, including the photographer himself, who thought that he had seen the image of a little blonde girl in a blue dress standing in the center second floor window, watching the workers below. He knew, however, that this was impossible as the house was empty while it was being moved. I have the photo. Yeah. Oh, we're just media sharing like crazy. Yeah. Zoom in on that center window. Okay. Oh, it's a pretty house. It's clearly in the process of being moved. Oh, there is definitely, there's, there's something in the window. What it is, I do not know, but I can absolutely see how people would look at that and be like, that's a ghost. Yeah. And it's, it, a, it's an outline that, and, of, of something. Yeah. And it sounds like the photographer, Mike Fender, it, it sounds as if he saw it in real time. Okay. Because he describes it as a blue dress, which you can't, it's a black and white, photo, it's a black and white photo. Yeah. I'd be curious, like... When they move houses like that, do they ever keep people inside of them? No. It's that'd be, very dangerous. That'd be fun. It, uh, Yeah. Or you could just like. I want to sit and have tea in a kitchen as the house is on the move. Okay. You could just rent an RV. <laughs> it would You're be, also not supposed to sit in the main things of those when they move. I know. Too. <laughs> I know. Shortly after when the photograph was published in the paper, rumors began circulating that the house was haunted by this little girl though no evidence has been found to identify what accident she would have been killed in. Okay. I did find one source that had mentioned that she had been killed in an accident involving hunters. But But like a single source. A single source and maybe it was somebody trying to come up with... A reason. A reason so they like threw that in. I've noticed a lot in our research is that every once in a while you run across a source that just adds in details that none of the other ones have. And you're like, where did you get this from? Where did you get that? And it's always the articles that don't cite their own sources. Right. So it's not even like I can track down or you could track down which source they got it from. Right. So I think they just made it up and they're like, is it this perhaps? And it's like, okay, well, you're... You're kind of leading people into believing that this accident happened. They just think it makes it more compelling. Mm, Yeah. I mean. True. The the truth would be more compelling, I think. (laughs) No, I think think a haunted spooky story makes it more compelling. And others believe that this is the image of a former tenant. I think that's more believable. Yeah. So at one point, the building was used as a boarding house, which makes sense. (laughs) There were 24 rooms. (laughs) And according to local legend, one of the residents had unalived herself via hanging in an upstairs bedroom. So potentially that very same bedroom. Mm, mm -hmm. There is also allegedly no proof of this either, though. Okay, okay, okay. The ghostly figure in the second floor window remains a bit of a mystery. Weirder still, though, are other signs of paranormal activity that have been reported to happen in the house. Pretty much out of left field, folks have reported things like the walls bleed. (laughs) And that the smell of decaying flesh can be detected wafting throughout the house. And 
the sounds of screams can be heard throughout the house as well. It's like giving me very much like horror movie vibes. Yeah. The but, walls bleed. Bleh, bleh. <laughs> so local rumor suggests that the house was once a stop on the Underground Railroad. And one night, something in the basement where the escaped enslaved individuals were hiding caught fire and everyone stuck below died. Oh. Which is not the first time we've heard that story. No. Allegedly, the family sealed off the basement after the fire, hiding the evidence of both the tragedy as well as their part in the organized escape. Because you weren't supposed to be part of the Underground Railroad, so they couldn't let people know. This tragic, though only alleged incident, is said to be the source of this paranormal activity. Okay. Which obviously... Hmm... I mean, it makes sense that it would be stuck because, like, obviously they're not attached to that basement anymore. Right, because the basement was left in the other location. But by that logic, too, when the house gets picked up and moved, if that's when the haunting supposedly starts. Right. That could track because then all of a sudden it's separated from the sealed off basement. Right. Exactly. So they're okay. Oh, okay. 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 You're, you're. I'm trying to piece together. You're piecing it together real good. Real good. (laughs) According to my sources, despite the inability to find proof of the tragedies that caused the Nicholson Rand house to be haunted, there have been multiple paranormal investigations conducted at the house over the years. And most are said to have detected as well as documented paranormal events. Okay. Though my sources just mentioned that there were findings but had no details about them. Oh. Boo. And that is the story of the Nicholson Rand house. All right. It just really ends abruptly. It does, but you know what? Anytime walls bleed, I'm okay with the story being over. <laughs> I why does that gross me out so much? I don't know, but we what was it? The that one house in California that I it was a two-parter. I yeah. mentioned that essentially it looked like the walls were bleeding. Yeah, don't like it. Uh-uh. Mm-mm, mm-mm, uh-uh. Uh-uh. Do you have a second story for me? You're still holding papers. I don't have a second story because that one was so abruptly like ended and I couldn't find any additional information, which a lot of times we don't know until we do all the research. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I did find some scary stories from the internet if you would like to hear some. Sure. I have a listener story this week too. Oh. But it's a short one. So why don't we... I will... Tell you a couple of jokes. Okay. You will read me some scary stories, and then I will read the listener story. How's that for a plan? I love it. All right. Are you ready for this? Where did the zombie live? I have no idea. On a dead-end street. (laughs) No. (laughs) No. What did the skeleton say to the vampire? I have no idea. You suck. It's funny because I was thinking it was going to be more skeleton related, not vampire Vampire related. related. That's what I thought when I was reading the Mm -hmm. joke too. I was like, Mm -hmm. why does the skeleton, the skeleton's not relevant here. No, it's not. Other than for them to just throw in another spooky creature. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. It really threw me off. (laughs) Tell me a spooky story. Let's, Let's get in the mood for the new year with a spooky story. All right. So this first one is from a Redditor named Charmaine369. Three, six, nine. Damn, she fine. Ooh, suck it, suck it. Tell me one more time. Get low. 
Get low. They said, uh, I came home pretty late one night. My roommate's bedroom was shut, and I assumed that she was sleeping already. But I saw something out of the corner of my eye in the kitchen. I said her name, but she didn't answer. I didn't think anything of it, so I walked into my room. And before I turned the light on, something whispered, I'm still here. Yeah. I turned on the light in my room, but nothing was there. So I turned on every light in my house and knocked on my roommate's door and eventually opened it, but she wasn't there. So I left her light on too and slept with all the lights on. Uh, Same, girl, same. When she came back the next morning, I asked her if she was messing with me and she started crying. She said she had left because something was in the house messing with her and she had to get out. I don't like that. Get yourselves, get out of that lease. Get out of that lease. And then I have another one. All right, all right, all right. All right. We were living with my brother-in-law and his two teens when I was pregnant. He has an elevated house on quite a bit of former hunting land, uh, several miles down a county road. My husband works seven to six and brother-in-law works offshore for 14 days. While he was at work, his kids stayed with their grandmother. Nice house, but it had a weird vibe. I chalked it up to pregnancy hormones. Okay. Never doubt yourself, girl. I don't know. I feel like based on the description of a lot of pregnancy hormones, I might doubt myself (laughs) if I was in that situation. One day, home alone, I was taking a shower and felt someone staring at me. Mm -mm. I stuck my head out and listened. Couldn't hear anyone in the house, so I resumed my shower. A while later, I heard the back door shut. I was standing in the kitchen and I could see the door, which had no steps and was six feet from the ground. The door was still locked. I told my husband about it that night and he shrugged it off. We locked down and went to bed. I don't know how long I'd been asleep, but I woke up to the blankets being yanked off the bed and finding my husband flipping on every light in the house. He threw open every door, every cabinet, looked in every pantry or closet while holding his handgun. I asked what was going on and he swore he heard boots thumping through the house and someone talking. Everything was still locked and it's not a big house. Nobody was there except us. <sighs> One night, a while later, my niece came into our room. Her dad uh, worked over and we had them for a few days. Oh, yeah, because their dad works offshore. Yeah. Um, and asked to sleep in bed with us. Now, this girl isn't scared of anything and was 14 at the time. I sat up, told my husband to scoot over and patted my pillow. That's when I noticed her 16-year-old brother curled up under a blanket on the floor beside me. Why are you both in our room at two in the morning? I asked. They didn't answer at first, but explained that something in my niece's room laughs at night. Oh, no. I hated that room when we moved in and put up any laundry I did quickly in there. I asked my nephew why he was on the floor, and he said she came into my room on the cot to sleep, but something started knocking on the door. We came down here as soon as it stopped. Oh, no, I don't like that at all. Again, husband flipped on every light, looked in every nook and cranny, and nothing. Eventually, we moved out, and the kids decided to live full-time with their grandma. (laughs) Understandably Uh, so. Yep. My husband said he heard a man laughing in my niece's room, but there was no one there when he turned on the lights. Scared the shit out of him. And then I have one final short story. Before you do that short story, I want you to close your eyes. Okay. Picture yourself laying in your bed. Okay. The room is dark. Okay. And you hear. Oh, God. (laughs) Goosebumps. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Get ready for more goosebumps. 
Reader, uh, be aware you're in for a scare. R.L. Stein. <laughs> uh, I'm a nurse and I used to work day shift at my old job. I was walking down the hallway with my computer on wheels to pass out meds one afternoon. I was between two patient rooms, not really close to either door, and far away from the nurse's station and kitchenette. I could hear one of the physical therapists talking to a patient in one of the rooms, but no one else was in the hallway. I was looking down at my papers to kind of get myself organized before going to see another patient, when all of a sudden in my right ear, like someone was standing right behind me, I heard a female voice say, I'm cold, in a kind of joking way. Like someone was doing a big shiver and rubbing their arms and saying, brr, I'm cold. I turned around thinking it was my friend Brittany goofing on me, but there was no one there. There was no one in the hallway at all. Yeah, see, I don't like any of that, but I especially don't like- The laughing? The laughing no. in a bedroom. Yeah, no and then thanks. And then followed by like, you escape that room and then you just hear- Yeah. Blah. How great is it that the podcast studio has a slanted like roof? So I can easily reach you it can to just make easily <laughs> Yep, exactly. Add sounds. It's great for that. Not great for my horns, but I've been getting better about not scraping them. <laughs> I also move the lights so you oh, don't get caught on help. them. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you now sit in between the cords of lights. Um so I have a listener story this week. I am so excited. Our listener, Angela, says, Hello, Brittany and Kayla. Time for me to talk about some of my sister's story. Just like you, Kayla, my sister is a magnet for the paranormal. (laughs) Not only herself, but her oldest child. But the story I have for you is about my brother and sister. Bear with me as this was about 10 years ago, and I'm trying to remember all of the details my sister told me. Okay. They had gone on a ghost tour in Plymouth, Massachusetts. My sister brought her husband, and my brother was with a female friend. They did have some experiences on the tour. While at a location, the guide had said that the person tends to like blondes. Conveniently, after this tidbit, she felt someone lightly tug her hair. No. She touched her hair and told her husband to knock it off. It happened again. No. And then she elbowed him in the gut to get him to stop (laughs) playing with her hair. Ah, yes, I would probably do the same. Logically, she thought her husband was being a smartass and was playing with her hair. He had his arms crossed and swears he didn't touch her. She looked on the other side thinking it was my brother, but his friend was between the two of them. And then later, they were somewhere that had a rocking chair, and the guide informed them that this was the spirit's chair, and he doesn't like it when people sit in it. Oh, so my brother, oh my God, my brother decided to be a douchebaggins and sit in the chair. He jumped out like he was being pushed. It was exactly what he claimed. When he sat down, he felt someone push the chair to get him out. My sister told him it served him right. LOL. (laughs) Yeah, it does. Hope you enjoyed the story, Angela. Well, thank you, Angela. And I like to hear men getting their comeuppance for not respecting boundaries yes she had a very good story and i'm glad you know same. except for maybe the husband the husband maybe didn't do anything and he maybe, maybe didn't the husband didn't them. deserve the elbow in the gut <laughs> from your sister but you know what i would probably like i said i would probably do the same yeah all i can hope is that you are happy that your sister is the ghost magnet 
unlike me, who wishes I was the ghost magnet. (laughs) And my sister was like, if I could give it to you, I I would. would. (laughs) But I can't. So there. (laughs) If you have a listener story you'd like to submit, a paranormal experience of any kind, you can do so by emailing us, leftofskeptic at gmail.com. You can also visit our website, www.leftofskeptic.com, and click the Listener Stories tab at the top of the page, or you can get there by clicking the link tree in our bio. You can choose to remain anonymous or include your name, whatever you prefer. We just ask that you please include your pronouns. You can also follow us on social media. We are on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Left of Skeptic, and Facebook at Left of Skeptic Podcast. Well, we want to thank you all. For being with us for uh, another year. Can I tease next week's episode? Oh, yeah, totally. So as y'all may remember, it is the start of True Crime January next week. And uh, I think that you're really going to like it. We've managed to do a Midwest-related true crime for our first like episode of True Crime January of 2024. Yeah, we did. People of the podcast, prepare yourself for the story of Ed Gein. This is like quintessential true crime. I know. I know. I am not a huge true crime person, not like you are. Mm -hmm. But even I'm stoked for this one because it's like Wisconsin pushes out some serial killers, but I think uh, Ed Gein is like key. He had some issues. Yes, he did. Which I will be talking about next week. <laughs> um, In case you're wondering about it, he is the one with the nipple belt. The nipple belt! Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's great. Uh, but yeah, so I'll... <laughs> So I'll tell the story of Ed Gein about his crimes, and then Kayla's going to come in with some paranormal-related something. <laughs> I'm going to tell you where you might find one Ed Gein today. Oh, okay, okay. I mean, not literally find him, because he, he did. <laughs> he did. Yeah. Or you might find his ghost. Oh, we got this. Oh, you guys, you guys want to be here next week. Yeah, Trust it'll me. be so much fun. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, We love you and appreciate you. It's true, we do. Happy New Year and happy Spooky Wednesday. Happy New Year and happy Spooky Wednesday. Okay, Okay. bye. Bye, bye, bye. Left of Skeptic podcast is written and hosted by Kayla Moria and Brittany Lind. This week's episode is edited by me, Brittany Lind. The Left of Skeptic music is by Dave Melling and Emily Havoc, and our artwork is by Al LeBlanc. Okay, bye! Perfect, perfect, perfect. been in a snappy mood today snap 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 not in a god damn it snappy. no no like an actual like i just i find myself walking around going like like you're in a performance of west side story or something yeah but nobody to battle nobody's come up to my battle what the hell i'm sorry if i felt like battling you i would sharks versus jets baby let's what do this you be?
Really, I just want to go around singing. I feel pretty, oh so pretty, so pretty and witty and gay. And I pity any girl who isn't me today. La 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 la.